going on, everybody? Welcome back to Unbashful. I am your host, Nicholas Doucette. I want to thank you for stopping by here today. And for this episode, we have quite a few topics. And I think the first thing we are going to discuss today is Blue Beetle, directed by Angel Manuel Soto. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. If I didn't, apologies. And uh, this is about an alien scarab chooses Jaime Reyes to be its symbiotic host, bestowing the recent college student graduate with a suit of armor that's capable of extraordinary powers, forever changing his identity as he becomes a superhero known as Blue Beetle. So that is the official synopsis of the film coming from IMDb. And I was looking forward to this. I didn't go in with the highest of expectations, just given the trailers didn't uh, particularly excite me or or encourage me beyond my already limited excitement for the film so I wasn't going in uh, I certainly didn't see the film opening night I waited till the end of the weekend I felt this is a this is a good uh, way to spend my Sunday evening nothing else really going on I'll go see Blue Beetle I saw it with two friends of mine they enjoyed the film definitely more than I did uh, and um, but I'll get into my actual thoughts you know, in regards to how I felt at the moment, but let's talk about the, I think we should rewind when talking about this film, let's talk about its its development, its production, and its, uh, its current place among DC films in either the old cinematic universe of the DCEU, or potentially the new cinematic universe being uh, overseered by James Gunn and Peter Safran, so... With this film's inception, it was originally going to be a streaming exclusive film on what was HBO Max. And I think that is evident when you watch this film. It does not feel like its original conception was, oh, this is going to be a major theatrical release. It very much does feel like it was made for the smaller screen, which I think hindered it quite a bit. Um, and you know, this, this film was written, directed, produced way before James Gunn and Peter Saverin took over DC. So one could make the argument that this is a DCEU film. Now to the film's credit, it does reference other characters in the universe but it references them in a way that's ambiguous, so it doesn't it doesn't point out a distincting a distinction a distinctive feature, pardon me, of oh that is Henry Cavill's Superman. It doesn't have a distinctive uh, reference to oh that is Ben Affleck's Batman. It just references other heroes. So then, if this is going to be a DCU film, it would make sense because they could just. They could just plug in David Korn sweat Superman. They could just plug in whoever the new actor that's going to be the the next Batman. So it was clever in that regard. So this film could really go either way. And uh, I know James Gunn has said that this is uh, the first DCU character, but this isn't the first DCU movie. Kind of a confusing uh, comment, to be honest with you. And I think overall James Gunn has has left more questions and answers in regards to his um his 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 you know his his public tweeting and and and, and his, his commenting on on Twitter or X whatever you want to call it I think he's done more harm than good in terms of preparing audiences for what's to come with his cinematic universe and it's funny I say that because Peter Safran and James Gunn, well, I think it was just Peter Safran, said about a month ago that their goal is to limit audience confusion. And I think that they're doing the opposite. I think they're causing more confusion by saying this character is part of the DCU. This character might be part of the DCU. This character isn't a part of the DCU. In my opinion, and I know a lot of you share this opinion, I think they should do a complete clean slate reboot from top to bottom recast every character start off fresh 
I think trying to cling on to even the things that you could say are successful, it's going to create confusion between casual movie-going audiences, which are the majority of the audiences that that make up the lion's share of the box office. People like me, people like diehard, you know, cinephiles, if you want to call us that, we are a very small minority of people in the on the internet and among the people that actually make money for these studios. The studios need to win over the casual audiences. And when the casual audience moviegoer sees three Batman simultaneously on screen, and then when they see a new Superman, but then they see Gal Gadot is still sticking around as Wonder Woman, it's 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 gonna look like a mess. And inevitably the comparisons to Marvel will happen and 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 even Marvel has their own set of problems. I can definitely agree with that. I think they're they have their own uh, issues to to resolve. But there's no audience confusion as to who's a part of the cinematic universe and who isn't, right? So, anyways, that's sort of the history of the film's production. It was caught between what's currently caught between the transition between studios and and and, and leadership, um, and I think that has hurt the film to a degree. But that's not the reason why I don't think this is a very good movie. So I guess let's transition into my thoughts of the film. My channel, my podcast is called Unbashful. And I wouldn't have called it that if I wasn't true to my opinions and to my thoughts, giving my unabashed feelings about a film. And I think Blue Beetle is probably one of the worst comic book films I've ever seen. Did, did did I hope to feel this way when watching the film? No. Do I enjoy saying these things about a comic book film? No. I go into every every movie, I go into every film hoping to to love it, to enjoy it, to 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 live with it. Um and 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 just to just to talk about it and think about it in, in a positive way after seeing it. I did not like this film at all and and I I could not wait to I could not wait for the film to end <laughs> to be quite honest with you. I think the the writing is abysmal. Um this film just borrowed every comic book film cliche we've seen from every movie down to line delivery at some points in the film, down to scenes, down to story beats. Like, I can name so many. Like, for example, when Jaime's father dies uh, and, and, and Jaime visits him, it, it, it looks like they just watched Black Panther and they said, well, let's do our best interpretation of the ancestral plane. Um, or even when Jaime... Uh, I, actually, yeah, within that same scene, Jaime's telling his father, like, I want to be with you, I want to be with you. And then Jaime's father's like, it is not your time, son. It's not your time. You know, we've seen, we just saw that in Guardians 3 when Rocket was was about to go to heaven. And then uh, Lila's like, you know, not now, not yet. And I, I know Guardians isn't the first film to do that. But, like, there's so many moments in this film where, where I'm thinking to myself, like, what is this film trying to say that is original in its own right? And I understand it's tough these days. There's been tons and tons of comic book films and and, and a lot of these comic book films borrow tropes from one another, but it's not so blatantly obvious to the point where I'm just like, why am I even watching this? This just feels like a Frankenstein film that's just an amalgamation of everything that has worked in previous films, and they're just trying to piggyback and bank off of that. That's what I felt like while I was watching this film. To give it a couple, you know, positive, you know... T- to give it a bit of credit, I guess, the things I did like about it were the suit. I think, surprisingly, the suit and the special effects were actually pretty good. And and for a film that was made for the small screen, I was really impressed with the CGI and with the visual effects. And we've a lot of people these days have complained that uh, a a common um, a common disagree. A common thing that people have had an issue with in comic book films today has been 
CGI and, and special effects. And I can agree with that. And I could say among all the films like, you know, Ant-Man, Quantumania, um, <clears throat> you know, Secret Invasion, uh, you know, all, all these comic book films, I can say that the special effects in Blue Beetle were actually better than those films and, and a couple of other ones too. So, you know, I, I will give it its praise there. The CGI looked great. The suit looked great when it was in action. It looked, it was, it was entertaining. I liked it. But that is a very small part of the film. That does not make up for the abysmal dialogue, the unbearable uh, dynamic between him and his family. And I want to address something. And uh, and I've seen some people try and make this argument. I've seen people say that, well, if you're not Latino, if you're not Hispanic, then you won't you won't appreciate this film, right? This 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 film won't be for you. And I think that is one of the most ridiculous takes I've ever heard. Part of the job of a film. Of, 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 a, of a story is to open the door for audiences to step in and, and, and get a glimpse as to another life of a certain set of characters to bring audiences in so they can understand and they can see that, okay, this is the story that's being told through a perspective that I might not understand, but I'm curious and I want to learn, so I'm going to see the story that's being unfolded in front of my eyes. If a film is, and I'm not saying that this is the director's job, or, or excuse me, the director's intention, I don't think the director made the intention to make this film only for Latino audiences, right? That would be a, that'd, that'd be a pretty dumb decision. So, I've seen people argue with me on the internet that, you know, they've reacted to my, to my take that I didn't enjoy the film. And they said, well, you know, you're white and you don't, you don't understand the film because you're not, you're not Latino and whatever. I think that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Schindler's List. I love Schindler's List. I'm not Jewish, right? Uh, Goodfellas. I'm not Italian. I love that film. Black Panther. I understand Black Panther is a, a obviously a fictional tale, but it's 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 you know dealing with African culture. I'm not African. I, I didn't grow up in that environment. I love the film. So I, to say that you are not Latino, you're not Hispanic, you will not like this film. You will not appreciate. It. I think that is ridiculous. And I think the better thing to say was that, well, if you're not Latino and you're not Hispanic, you might not understand some of the cultural references that I can agree with because I did not grow up in a Hispanic household. So some of the things that are that are being said between the family and maybe some of, I don't know, some of the, the, the dishes that are being, you know, cooked or some of the, I don't know, the quips and the one-liners, whatever, sure. Sure, maybe I might not understand that. But to encapsulate the entire film and say, the, as, as a two-hour film, you do not and will not understand and appreciate it because you're not Hispanic or Latino or whatever. That is ridiculous. And I think people that say that are, are idiots. To be quite, quite frank with you, they are idiots. Because there are so many great stories told about parts of the world and communities, and people, and ethnicities that that I do not share, that I am not of that ethnicity, or, or I did not grow up in, in that community, but I can still love and appreciate these films for the stories that are being told, and they're opening a door into a life that I'm not familiar with for me to learn. That is the job of a story that's being told, right? You should be able to watch any movie at any time without having to have grown up with a with 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 a certain demographic or 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 live with certain people or you know whatever you 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 I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to say so I think that's a ridiculous take to say and it makes up a very small part of the film you can still you can still judge a film and your opinion is not invalid to another person's just because you do not share the same 
background, the same ethnicity, or the same skin color. That's just my opinion on that matter. So people that say that, you're an idiot. You are an idiot. If you, if you truly feel that the film was misunderstood because you're not Latino, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Once again, one person who is not Latino and is not Hispanic, they might not understand some of the cultural aspects of the film, some of the cultural references. That is completely fair, and I understand that, and I can, I can appreciate that 100%. But to say that you will not like the film, that's, that, that's a stupid take. But anyways, had to get that off my chest. Um... Now, Suzanne Sand, what's her name? Uh, the, I can't remember her name. Uh, Sus- Suzanne Sarandon, great longtime veteran actress. She's been in some of my favorite films, Wicked of East Witch. Uh, she's a great actress. Her character was, I couldn't stand her character uh, at all. Victoria Cord, um, no no depth, no complexity to her, or the villain Carapax. He just felt like some guy walking around throughout the film with the same expression on his face. And in the last five minutes of the movie, they tried to they tried to bring that complexity and depth to the character by showing us that he grew up and he was sort of forced into this lifestyle of military and you know a life of crime. But at that point, it was too little, too late. If you're really going to try and make us sympathize with the villain, with this antagonist. You have to sprinkle that throughout the film. Don't just give us a little montage of 20 seconds showing him as a kid growing up in this, you know, in, in, in the life that he grew up in. It's too little too late at that point. Um, the, the, the main actor, uh, Jolo Marduena, he, you know, he was, I haven't really seen him in many other things. So I'm not too familiar with his work. I know a lot of fans have, uh, a lot of fans that are that watch the Cobra Kai series on Netflix have have sung their praises about him. So maybe at some actually, what am I saying? I'm never going to check out that show. I'm not a Karate Kid fan. I think he's a good enough actor. I don't really think he had a lot to work with because uh, I think the script was awful. So I'm sure that okay. You know what? Here's what I'll say about the character. I'm kind of all over the place. This is just how if you've visited my channel before. This is how I operate. This is this is how I discuss things on the podcast. There's no rigid format. There's no like, you know, script that I follow. What you're hearing me say, this is off the cuff. The only notes I have in front of me, I won't even call them notes. It's just a list of topics. That's it. So like right now I have Blue Beetle review. The next thing we're going to talk about is Doom Part 2. So everything I'm saying is off the cuff. So bear that in mind. But what I think James Gunn and Peter Safran should do, if they are indeed staying true to their word that this character will be in the DCU, I think that you keep the actor, Jolo Marduena, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, you keep the character Jaime Reyes, keep Blue Beetle, you wait a couple of years, you let the dust settle, you give him another movie, but it's not a... Blue Beetle 2. It's not a Blue Beetle 1.5. It is essentially a soft reboot of the character. Retcon everything that happened in this film. You can, if you want to bring the family back, sure, bring the family back. You hire a new director, you hire a new set of writers, and you tell a much better version of the story because I believe there is an amazing Blue Beetle story waiting to be told in live action. I just think that this was not. I think this was a terrible attempt at doing so. I think you give this film just overall better resources. Do what Marvel is doing with Daredevil and Charlie Cox. Now, that's not to say the original Daredevil Netflix show was bad by no means. People say it's one of the greatest comic book projects of all time. I just think that the approach that Marvel is taking with, they're essentially retconning what happened in that show. They're bringing back the original actor, but they're treating it as if he... He had never had anything that happened during the Netflix show. This is the first time we're seeing Charlie Cox in the MCU. And I think the DCU should take the same approach. I think they should bring this actor back, bring Jaime back, and treat it as this is the first time we're seeing Blue Beetle. Not what, not the 2023 film. We're going to pretend like that one doesn't exist. Right? And I know I'm, 
I'm contradicting what I'm saying with the complete reboot. I think they should do a complete reboot. And I th- and, and if I was James Gunn and Peter Safran, I would recast Blue Beetle. But because they have said they're not, I'm just looking, I'm, I'm trying to act as if I am James Gunn. I think the best course of action is to wait a couple of years, give him a new film, but treat that as the first true Blue Beetle film in the new DCU. And that can be the first film of a new trilogy. I would not try and continue the story with the current writer and director that you have uh, with this film, personally. I would keep the actor. I think he's a charming guy. Uh, I think he has a lot of charisma. And I think with a better script, he can bring something more memorable and uh, more exciting to this character. Because I actually, I think the Blue Beetle character is, is really interesting. Now, I'm not some you know Blue Beetle historian. I don't know the lore in and out. I haven't read any of the Blue Beetle comics. But when I heard this film was coming out, I was genuinely excited. I think it was a different, it, it could have been a different take on a, on a, on a different superhero. And uh, I was looking forward to it. So, pretty disappointed in this film. And I said I went in with very, very low expectations. And it didn't even meet those. A lot of people go into movies with their mind already made up. I didn't do that. I went in with a with a with an open mind. I wanted this film to be great. And unfortunately, I don't think it was, but that was just my opinion. I seem to be in the minority. I think a lot of people really enjoy this film. And hey, you know, hats off to you. If you enjoy the film, I'm happy for you. I'm not here trying to shit on your parade. If you enjoy the film, you enjoy the film. And that's completely I'm happy for you. I just didn't. So that's just my opinion. Uh, you know, feel free to disagree. And, and I, I love discourse. I love arguing uh, as long as it's within the lines of respect. And, you know, if you, if you want to talk about it, if you want to, to, to have a discussion, let me know down in the comments below. This will be a podcast only. So I'm not too sure if, if the podcast channels have a comment section. I think they should. Uh, I think that'd be a great way for audience engagement because not every podcaster is on YouTube. Uh, I, I am on YouTube, but I haven't been in, I haven't actually uploaded any of these podcasts to YouTube in a couple of months. Uh, that's because I, I really want to return to YouTube when I have a proper, um, attractive, credible, respectful setup. Because the problem was when I was doing the podcast on YouTube before, I need to put myself in the audience's shoe. As an audience member, do I really want to watch a guy sit in front of a white wall and talk about stuff for two hours? No, I wouldn't. And I, I don't blame you if you wouldn't want to either. You know, it doesn't matter how compelling or how, uh, you know, insightful the, the, the podcaster, and I'm not referring to myself in any narcissistic way. I'm just saying in general, it's, you know, the, 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 the content creator, the podcaster can only say so much interesting things. There has to be some other some other, uh, you know, substance or, or, or things to look at, you know, around him, right? That's why I love, you know, Chris Stuckman and, and these other content creators. They're not podcasters, but if you look around them, they got pretty interesting setups. So I'm working on getting my uh, my podcast set up, you know, ready, made, and and, and, and just kind of uh, have, a, have a set that looks a little bit more interesting to audiences. But anyways, I think I addressed everything I wanted to say with Blue Beetle. Uh, I'm sure I'll probably miss a few points. I, you know, overall, I just didn't think it was a very good movie. I think it's a movie we've seen 25 times before, maybe more. Um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's move on to Doom Part 2. It has now, unfortunately, been delayed. I know a lot of us have been looking forward to this film. So let's get into the reasons why I think this happened. So it is official Dune Part 2, which was originally supposed to be coming out in October, has now been pushed all the way to March of 2024. Obviously very disappointing to a lot of people. Uh, I was very much looking forward to this film. This, along with Killers of the Flower Moon, David Fincher's next film, The Killer. These were like the three films that I was really excited to see in the last, uh, in the last, you know, little bit of the, of the year, and there's still movies to look forward to, don't get me wrong, Napoleon, um, but this, this was, this was right at the top of the list for me, uh, you know, another film on a grand scale from an, um, from an auteur 
like Denis Villeneuve shot on IMAX cameras. Like this was another, like this was another hit just waiting to happen. So pretty disappointed that we're not going to get this till till the next year. Uh, but I can understand why, and I think there's a mul- there's a multitude of reasons why. The most obvious reason is the strike, and the studio wants their actors. You know, they want Timothy Chalamet, they want Florence Pugh, they want Austin Butler, Christopher Walken, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem. Like they want these stars to promote the film, talk about it. And I believe that that does have an impact. A lot of people, myself included, we, we like to watch the interviews. We like to watch the Vanity Fair YouTube videos of the actors breaking down their careers. Like it's it's fun. It's 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 exciting. I think it encourages audiences to 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 want to go see the film after they hear the actors and the actresses gloat about how great this next picture is. Does it you know does it equate to hundreds of millions of dollars of box office? No maybe 15 to 20, 25 to 30, sure, yeah, I could definitely see that, um, it's, it's just, it's part of the promotion of the film, and I think that you're losing, like, half of the marketing when, when the actors can't talk about it, Blue Beetle, I think, was destined to fail from the beginning, but if the actors could have promoted the film, it might have cashed in an extra couple million bucks, and the film only made, I think, like, 25 opening weekend, and a couple couple extra million bucks for a film like that could have went a long way. So that's the obvious reason the strike for you know the both strikes, the actors and the writers, I think definitely have an impact on that. So I can understand that. The second reason, the reason that I don't think enough people are talking about is the success or rather the performance of the first Dune film. And I googled the box office, and the the, the very first answer I, I got on a Google search was $402 million. Now, could that be right on the dot? Who knows? But more or less, the film made $400 bucks at the box office. For a film like Dune, I think that the studio heads and audiences were probably projecting this film was going to make a lot more than that. At least $600 million. I think the film was more than capable of pulling that off. Uh, I really liked the first Dune film. Haven't read the book, haven't read the novel, so I'm not familiar with the source material, but it did very much feel like a part one, but it's beautiful to look at. The sound mixing is incredible. Performances across the board were great. It was truly a science fiction epic that I, I don't feel like we get too, too many of those nowadays on this grand of scale with this with this um, pedigree of filmmakers and actors all coming together. So I really enjoyed the first Dune. And uh, I think the second one could, could be even better. <clears throat> and um, and getting back to my point here, the first film, the reason why it made only $400 million is because the previous leadership, Jason Collard, came up with the brilliant idea, I say that, if you couldn't tell very sarcastically, to release the film simultaneously, day and date, theatrically, and on streaming on HBO Max. And I think that was a obviously a idiotic decision, cost the film probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Because, you know, I get it, it was during the pandemic, but this film was made for the big screen. I would have been much happier if they would have delayed the original Dune, if they felt that the COVID restrictions were going to uh, interfere with this film performing, you know, and, and and making a reasonable amount of money, they would make much more sense to delay the film than just say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna compromise and we're going to release the film on streaming simultaneously. You're giving audiences, you know, it's good for the consumer. You know, you, you don't have to leave your home. You could watch the, the film uh, in the comfort of your of your living room. But you're not seeing it on the on the presentation format that it was intended for audiences to see. I'm I'm a big I'm a big uh, I'm a big enthusiast of of the theater going experience. I believe that going to the theater is the is the best way to watch a film, uh, at least for most films nowadays. Or at, excuse me, at least for films like this coming from Denis Villeneuve, Christopher Nolan, 
Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, these are the filmmakers that I think that deserve that theatrical experience. And uh, watching Dune in your living room, it's just not going to be the same. So I think that lost this film a lot of money that it that it could have made, and it certainly did make a profit. I think it says here that the the box office, or excuse me, the budget was was an estimated 165 million. So I mean, it did it did gross almost. 300 million in 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 profit but i think that they were expecting to make more than that and i think like i said i think it was capable of making more than that so with the sequel coming around in in in, in a post pandemic world for the most part it seems like the the effects of the pandemic on the theaters are mostly behind us i think that warner brothers was really anticipating a bang for this film and uh they don't want anything that can hinder this film from exceeding and doing better than the other film. So while a lot of people could say, yeah, you know, the actors can't promote the film, I don't think that's going to make a huge difference. I think that this time around, they want to release this film in a world where they can have everything. They can have press. They can have, you know, theaters around the world. They can have as much media coverage as they want. I think that Warner Brothers wants as much they, they want to make as much money as they can with this film. And they don't want anything to hold it back like like the original film was held back by poor leadership and a global pandemic. So, I can understand that. Am I disappointed? Yes. Would I have liked to see the film in October? Because October is now a stacked month. Uh, or I think it was either October or November. I can't quite remember. But regardless. I'm disappointed, but I can understand why. And hopefully by... Next March, the actors and the writers have, you know, have will 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 agree with the with the, with the producers on a deal that is uh, that is that is fair for the actors and the writers and everybody else involved. So that way, everybody can make a livable wage, and everybody can can earn what's what's rightfully out to 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 be theirs, right? So, anyways, that's my thoughts on Dune Part Two. Let's get into. David Fincher's next film, The Killer, which drops its first teaser today. So the trailer for David Fincher's next film, The Killer, uh, dropped about 30 minutes or so before I started the podcast, and I've been very, very much looking forward to seeing anything that he does. You know, he is he's among the directors like Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan, uh, Martin Scorsese. You know, these directors have earned... My respect as an audience member, they've earned my they've earned my my money, my ticket to the to the point where and, and they've earned their they've earned my trust, I think is the probably probably the best way to put it. They've earned my trust as an audience member to give anything, any story they're telling, give it a chance. Even if it's a story I wouldn't or a film I wouldn't traditionally be interested in, a story that I wouldn't be traditionally interested in being in watching unfold but because of the trust I have in them as filmmakers I'll watch I'll watch anything they see I'll give anything they make a chance uh, but w- with something like the killer this is very much falling in line with with films that I'm interested in watching you know chaotic thrillers of of, of espionage and uh, and well actually I'm not too sure if this deals with espionage per se but let me actually give the official synopsis here. Uh, it says here, plot synopsis, after a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists is impersonal. So what I can gather about this film is that it's about a assassin who's kind of gripping with his own existential battle uh, within his own mind that is making that is sort of disrupting his work as an assassin. I could be way off base. This is being adapted from a graphic novel called The Killer, and I'm sure there's other elements throughout the film. I'm sure it's not just him dealing with himself. I'm sure he's obviously pitted up against other people in the film. Um, but these are the kind of stories I like being told. Just high, high, frantic editing. You know, a, a, a fast-paced film. That, that deals with complexities, with characters that 
one person might consider them evil, but you know the 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 approach is that that the filmmakers and the writers are taking. They're telling a story through a character that's complex, who has, um, who who might be looked at as an anti-hero, but you can sympathize with this character, and in some ways you root for him. Well, in some ways you look at him and you say, well, why would he do that? You know, that's those are the most engaging stories. Stories that it's not cliche. It's not. Um, Oh, you know, th- this isn't this isn't a real person. This isn't somebody I see every day. And some films are like some films are okay to have larger than life characters. It's all about the f- the story that you're telling. Like a Marvel film, there's Thor doesn't exist. You know, uh, Iron Man doesn't exist. These are larger than life, you know, heightened characters. Uh, but to me, I think the most interesting stories are are, are characters with complexity. So that was a long winded mouthful. Verbal vomit that just came out of my mouth, but fuck it. Uh, and getting back to the film here, though, I thought the trailer was very interesting. It gave me very much, you know, flashbacks to Fight Club with how the trailer was edited and and and, and the music choice. It feels very much akin to kind of like the opening sequence of Fight Club when you have this frantic pacing. You're 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 seeing all this these images flashing before your eyes. It's kind of that's a lot like some of other some of Fincher's other films like uh, like Seven and, uh, and Zodiac. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing this. There's not a lot that was shown. We just see a lot of uh, we see Michael Fassbender kind of you know traveling across the globe and and he's he's setting up his weapon. He's clearly going. He's he's pursuing maybe just one target or multiple targets. That's kind of unclear at this point. Um, and and you could see that he's kind of battling. With the uh, with the tortures going on within his mind, it seems like he's hearing voices. It seems like there's 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 something lingering on him. So very interesting, and I'm I'm hoping to learn more about this trailer so I don't just kind of spew a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> uh, but let me know what you thought about the killer. It's going to be a Netflix original film, and it's going to be uh, getting a I assume a limited theatrical release, probably similar to what Glass Onion got. So it, it says it's going to be in theaters in October, but then it's coming to Netflix November 10th. So I could see this film coming out like a week before November, somewhere around like October 25th. I could see it coming out around then, uh, just around Halloween. And uh, it seems like David Fincher has, I, I, I guess he has like a deal with Netflix, probably like a five picture deal because Mank, his last film, was on uh, was on Netflix and this one's on Netflix so maybe the next couple of couple of films of his are going to be on Netflix and uh, I've talked about Mank before Mank is a film that you know on the first viewing I didn't uh, think it was a, a, a bad film by any means but I didn't love it but I also didn't know enough about the story of you know Herman Mankiewicz and you know I, I'd never seen Citizen Kane so I hadn't I knew the impact that that film had on on, on film history uh, and, and paving the way for for cinema. So I knew the impact it had, but I had never seen the film. I didn't know the story of Orson Welles or Herman Mankiewicz. So once I kind of educated myself, uh, the second viewing, I appreciated it a lot more. And ever since then, each time I've seen the film, I, I, I like it just a little bit more. So it's really grown on me throughout, throughout the, the years since it came out. I think it came out in 2020, I think. Could be wrong, though. Um, are you excited for the killer? Let me know, uh, down in the comments below, if there is a comment section. (laughs) So let's move on to the last couple of topics here. These are, there's, there's one film, one TV show I'm going to talk about that is, that has been out for a while that has received a ton of praise from audiences. They've become favorites among a lot of people, but I just haven't, it's taken me a, a while to, to, to get around to watching them. The first film is The Irishman. You know, I've waxed rhapsodic about Martin Scorsese on this podcast many times, but The Irishman is a film that has taken me a very long time to actually sit through start to finish to watch, and that's not because I don't think it's good. It's just because it, it, it's a long movie, and I'm all I'm all for three-and-a-half-hour films, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's much easier for me to watch a film of that length in the theater than it is for me to watch it at home. Maybe you could attribute this to my attention span. I think I have a pretty good attention span, all things considered with today's generation and TikTok. And, you know, you look left and right and there's there's TikToks everywhere. But 
All things considered, I consider myself to have a, a pretty reasonable attention span, but for some reason when I'm at home, I do find myself at times struggling to watch these films like The Irishman that are over three hours long just because I find myself getting distracted by the things around me, you know, my family's around me, this, that, and the other. Uh, and I've attempted several times to watch this film and I've tried to set aside time to to really just, you know, in, uh, immerse myself into it. But I just, for whatever reason, I haven't been able to watch, to finish the film from start to finish. So I finally did. And uh, I, I really enjoyed this film from Martin Scorsese. And I could understand why it got all the Oscar nominations. It, it received as much praise as it did. And uh, it's not my favorite Scorsese film. I'll just kind of get that out the gate. But but I think it's a fantastic movie. And I, I'd probably give it a four out of five stars. And the last hour of this film fucking broke me. And I talked about this with The Killer. My How my favorite films and the favorite stories I like to watch are dealing with complex characters, characters that that could objectively be, you know, labeled as evil, yet, depending on the filmmaker, they're able to bring out life in this character um, and, and humanize them in a way that we don't sympathize with them necessarily, because yes, some of these characters in these films are truly evil people, and I think uh, Robert De Niro's character, Frank, you could say, and I, I would tend to agree that I think he is, he's, a, he's an evil person. He's a murderer, right? But I can't help but feel bad for this guy in the last hour of this film. And that's not me condoning the things that he did and all the people he murdered. I Once again, I think he's an evil person, but it's not so much that I feel bad for him. I feel bad that there are elderly people in the world that are neglected and that are left behind by their families, that are taken advantage of by their families, and that are just forgotten. And we very much see that with Frank in the last hour of this film. Now, a lot of this uh, that's happening to him is, in fact, his fault because of what he put his family through, the things that he did. So he has nobody to blame but himself. But it was just, it, it was hard to watch, you know, when he's living in the nursing home and uh, he's trying to reconnect with his family and he goes to the bank to try to speak to his daughter and she's she's a bank teller and she she closes her uh, her station like that just broke my heart watching that and once again i fully recognize and admit that frank is an evil person and he deserves the uh, the reaction that he's receiving from his family but i can't help just feel like just it was tough to watch and then when he goes to the uh he goes to the to the store to pick out a casket and the salesman initially thinks that this is him picking out a casket for somebody else but then he says it's for himself there was just something sinister about that like imagine picking out it's like digging your own grave you know it's just it's it's just off-putting it's it's tough to watch and i think yeah the, it was the last hour really kind of fucked me up and, and i was just thinking you know hopefully when i have kids uh they don't forget me and throw me in some nursing home. Now, it's obviously it's different with this character. He very much deserved the, uh, you know, what 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 happened with him and his family and and everybody kind of leaving him behind on the wayside. But other than that, there are real elderly people in today's world that have never done any of those things and that have been nothing but generous and 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 given everything they've had to their families. And yet, people, you know, once their kids grow up, they take advantage of, of of everything that their that their mom or dad or grandma or grandfather did for them and they leave them behind and they act like they don't exist. That's sad. And uh, that's sort of what I thought about when watching the the sort of uh, the downfall of Frank's life in that final hour of the film. But among that, I mean it's it's a it's an incredible story of Jimmy Hoffa. I've I've heard things about Jimmy Hoffa. I, I, I heard that he was this politician who was murdered. And I think to this day that his body hasn't, has never been found. I've heard, you know, I heard wise tales from my, from, from my, from my dad growing up that his, that his body was buried like underneath like a baseball field or something. So I'm, I wasn't very familiar with the story and with the life and the rise and fall of Jimmy Hoffa, but it was played brilliantly by Martin Scorsese. The whole cast was incredible. Joe Pesci uh, playing a character that we're not normally used to seeing. Someone who's a little bit more methodical, a little bit more um, subdued 
not as guns blazing as we traditionally see with a lot of the roles he uh, he dons for Martin Scorsese. He's usually the muscle. He's usually the the barking dog, um, so to speak. You know the uh, the uh, the the gun almost. You know somebody that comes in fearless. He very much plays a different character this time around, and I and I like that. I think it shows a lot of range that audiences might not be familiar with with Joe Pesci. Not to say that he's not capable of playing that character, but it's just it's it's something different than I'm used to seeing with Joe Pesci. So that was nice to see. Um, yeah, it was it was a really good film. I finally finally went around to seeing it. So let me know what you think about the uh, about the Irishman <clears throat> and the TV show that I've finally gotten around to 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 watch that I was referring to earlier is The Bear. I've heard nothing but good things about this show and uh it's not normally something that I would be interested in, you know, cooking and things like that. That's not really my type of uh content to that I normally watch. But once again with the overwhelming amount of positivity surrounding this show, I decided to finally check it out and form my own opinion and I think this this show is everything that 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 it's that it said it is. It's it's incredible, and uh, and I'm looking forward to starting the second season. I know that is out, and I've I've heard there's guest appearances from Bob Odenkirk, and uh, and some other some other very well known actors and actresses. But the story that's being told here is incredible. It's dealing with grief. It's dealing with trauma through the means of cooking, and you know, uh, it's it's incredible. And I think. What they did with the show, I think the writers, what they did with, we're, we're following this character, Carmi, Carmen, and uh, we're, we're seeing him navigate through the loss of his older brother, who was clearly a, a very important figure in his life, a mentor in his life. And in that final episode, when you when you find out the true motivation behind what he's doing, why he's why he's doing it, why he took over this restaurant, why cooking is such an important uh, is, is such an important part of his life. It's all because of his brother, right? That's what his brother loved to do. That's what he loved to do. But when his brother essentially kicked him out of coming and working at the restaurant, he doubled down on this as a career and as this basically as his life as a means to to say like as that famous speech as he said in that iconic speech in the film when he's at that therapy session like fuck you watch this essentially this is i'm going to do this to show you that that you need me i'm better than you with this almost like out of spite and it's tragic and and and, and he he also admits that beyond that it's such a rigid schedule it, it it's i know what to expect i come in here every day i do the same thing so it's a, it's a means of escapism for him at least in my view, in my opinion, but it's also a, a, a way for him to deal with the trauma because initially, he it seems like he pursued cooking because he loved it and because he saw that his brother was so good at it and he wanted to be like his brother, but then once his brother kind of banned him from, from being involved with him and cooking and, and working at the restaurant, the bear, he doubled down on it and wanted to prove that he's almost better than his brother or that he's that it was a mistake for him to push him out of that part of his life and I think that's incredible I think doing that through 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 cooking and through culinary arts is uh is an amazing way to tell that story and the, and the the biggest the best part of the show is the characters and I'm so interested to learn more about cousin about Richie because I can't help but feel bad for this guy and one of one of the toughest moments for me was when um he was being called a loser uh, from, I can't, why am I not remembering her name? Uh, the uh, One of the other main characters in the show, the young lady. What's her name here? Ayo, Ayo Adibri, if I pronounce her. Yeah, Sydney. Yeah. When Sydney's in his ear, in Richie's ear, and she's she's yelling, you know, you're, you're, you're a loser, you know, how can your kids even, even want to be with you and stuff like that. And you could tell he, it's just, it's, it's cutting right to the heart, you know, and, and you could see that this is a character that really is dealing with a lot. There's a lot going just as much as there's going on with Carmi. There's a lot going on 
in 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 his own way with Richie, and I'm sure Richie is also well, he is dealing with the trauma in his own way of losing his cousin, uh, um, Michael. And uh, but among that, it seems like he's got some other shit going on in his life. And from what I've heard, the second season really kind of goes in deeper to what's to 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 the life of Richie and what goes on with him, what makes him tick. Uh, the characters are just so interesting. Elboy, uh, uh, Marcus, um, I think he's it's just across the board. Marcus, you know, uh, his sister Sugar, you know, Neil, Sydney. Like this is an incredible cast of characters and and a great story being told. And I look forward to watching season two. And it's really it's it's the hype is real. Like if you haven't checked out the Bear, please go check it out. It's it's awesome. I I can't agree. I can't agree enough with the people that have sung the praises. Um, but I think that's it. I'm at the point out the podcast where I'm just like, ugh, my, my brain is, is dead. I feel like I've said as much as I can, you know, that's, that's the, anybody getting thinking of getting into a podcast, you know, I'll warn you, you know, it's, um, doing it solo was great because you have ultimate control. You're, you're, you're your own boss. You know, you can make the final decision. Uh, but you really got to find things to talk about because it, it could be, it could be exhausting going on and on on your own. Uh, it is fun every once in a while to have somebody sit across from you and engage in a, in a conversation. You could kind of riff and raff off each other. You can you can you can argue. You can you can discuss. And it's there's pros and cons to to kind of being a solo podcast. But anyways, that was totally irrelevant for what we're talking about. But anyways, that's it. I'm gonna wrap it up here. I'm gonna cut it here so I don't go on and on. But a uh, good discussion today, guys. I'm going to try and be more consistent with the podcast. I just, I've been super fucking busy. I know people try and say that as an excuse. I'm still, I've been working on this short film uh, that I really hope to start shooting soon and bring to you guys. I've been working on it for over a year now, uh, working with my director. We've been trying to get the script right, been, been grinding that. I've been, I'm going to acting school soon, so I'm getting, you know, prepared for that. So there's a lot going on, and I'm, I'm truly like, I don't consider myself a lazy person. If I I try and get up on my two feet every day and and, and pursue things, so I, I really hope to try and be more consistent with these podcasts and bring you guys at least one episode a week. Uh, for the few people that do like to listen to the show, I feel like I owe it to you uh, to to deliver quality content and a quality discussion that is engaging and hopefully informative and insightful. Insightful, excuse me, to to anyone listening. I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna drop it here, everyone. Have a fantastic day. These are tough times. Try and find ways to to keep your mind at peace and uh, to keep your family safe. And uh, I'll see you on the next one. Take care.